The following audio is from Jacobswell Church. For more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your word this morning as a people uh, who need you to speak into our lives. So God, pray that you would do that. We need you to speak into our church. So we pray that you would do that. And we come to your word, Lord, expectantly, knowing that you are so faithful to minister to us through it by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would do that with great measure this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is a special occasion. It's going to be a little bit of a unique service. Today we celebrate the ordination of Tim Greenmore. Uh, Tim was ordained during the first service, so we're not going to do the full thing at this time. Otherwise, they would cancel out, and we don't want to do that. So, um, but we're going to do it very similar. And so I'm going to give you like a 20, 25-minute uh, sermon. I know your, your prayers have been answered. Praise God. Um, and then we are going uh, to to pray for Tim, uh, ask him the vows again so that you can hear the vows that Tim is taking. And I also have a vow for you. And then Pastor Chad will come forward and give a charge. And then the rest of the service will be normal. There will be communion, a final song, and a benediction. So um, elders have been the way that God has really governed his people ever since they were a people. If you remember back in the early chapters of Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham that from his line will come a great nation of people, so many that will be more than the stars in the sky or the sand on the beach. Well, God fulfills this promise through Abraham's great-great-great-grandchildren in Israel. When, I'm sorry, in Egypt. Uh, when they go down to Egypt, you may remember they, they are in bondage, but it's also fertile ground and the people grow and grow and grow into this great nation. And so God delivers them out of Egypt and he is bringing them through the wilderness through his servant Moses. And Moses comes across his father-in-law, Jethro. And Jethro has some advice for Moses. Now I know that if you are wandering in the wilderness and there's a guy named Jethro that wants to give you advice, you might be suspect about it. But this Jethro has good, sound, and godly advice. Jethro pulls Moses aside and says, what you are doing is not good. Leading all of these people by yourself, it is not a good thing. He says, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. He says, if you do this, God will direct you and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. And so what we see here is that as soon as God formulates his people and delivers them out of Egypt, he institutes a structure, a plurality of leadership in which there is not just one man in charge, but there are many in charge. And the reason he does this is for, the is for two major purposes. One is for the purpose of accountability. Uh, they have checks and balances in the system of there being a plurality of leaders. But the other reason is for the sake of support. The job is too big for one man to handle. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we see the system continue. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 14, which we'll be covering in a few weeks, um, we see that Paul and Barnabas go around and they're planting churches. And as they're planting churches, before they leave that church, the thing that they have to do is they have to install elders and ordain elders at that church. Acts 14, 23 says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And this is what we are doing today 
with Tim Greenmore. In the passage we're going to look at, 1 Peter 5, um, what we're going to see is that Peter is actually writing and he is encouraging the church to stand strong in the midst of persecution. And he starts with the elders. But his assumption is that this letter that is going out to many, many, many churches being circulated is that every church has elders that are overseeing and shepherding the flock of God. And so if you would, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. As we look at this passage, I want to simply ask, answer the question, what makes a faithful elder? What is an elder supposed to do? Who is an elder supposed to be? And so if you have the Red Bible, it's page 1016, and I believe it's page 1319 in the Children's Bible. Now, I know this topic of, or this question, what makes a faithful elder may seem only relevant to Tim. Obviously, that application is very clear. I would say it's also very applicable to the elders at Jacob's Well Church. As we look at our job description again, we are reminded of the ways we fall short, of areas that we need to repent in. I know even for me, as I was reading through this, I'm like, oh Lord, why did you make me an elder at this church? I fall so short of what you call me to do. And so it's a great reminder of what God has called us to. But I would say that this is also vitally important for you as a congregation. It's important for you to know the duties of an elder so that you can intelligently nominate and elect elders, so that you can hold your elders accountable to what God has called them to do. But most of all, and most importantly, and I absolutely mean this, the reason you need to know the role of an elder is so you can pray for your elders. You know, I get to meet with these elders every other week, and these are men that I look up to. They are godly men. They're honorable men. But make no mistake, these are also finite men. They're limited in their capacity, and they're sinful men who are repentant men. And so the job that God has given to us is far bigger than we can handle, and so we need you to pray for us. And as we study and understand what shepherds are called to do, I pray that God would spark your heart to pray for your elders regularly and continually. Now, 1 Peter 5 is by no means an exhaustive explanation of a faithful elder, but it is a great summary of what an elder is called to do. And really, Peter just gives the elders one directive, and then he shows the many implications of it, okay? And so that's what we're going to look at. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. It says, Peter says to the elders, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. God, it is, it's scary to read those words because I know how far short I fall. And yet, Lord, you are changing and transforming me and the elders God, we just thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for providing Tim, God. Lord, pray that you would burn in his heart the things that you are communicating through Peter in your word. Pray that this congregation would be faithful to pray for their elders, Lord. 
Um, we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you know the context of the book of Peter, Peter is writing to a church that is going through a lot of suffering. And he is calling them to stand firm. This is the end of his book. 1 Peter 5 is the last chapter. And as he's calling them to stand firm, the first people he exhorts is the elders. Now, you'll see here he uses the term elder. Uh, in the Greek, this is a term presbyteros. It's the term from which we get uh, our term, Presbyterian. Um, Presbyterian simply means that, that the pastor does not run the church. We don't have a pope that runs the church. The congregation does not run the church, nor do we even have like a board of directors that run the church. But Jesus Christ runs his church, and he does that through elders that he has raised up in the church and that you have approved as a church. And so if you've ever wondered what Presbyterian means, that's what it means. It just means that we have elders. It's a plurality of eldership for the purpose of accountability and support. Now, Peter here identifies himself as an elder. Now, what's so interesting about that is if you know who Peter is, Peter is an apostle, right? And that name carries a lot of weight with it. You know, there's not a lot of apostles. But he comes to them and says, Peter, I'm Peter. I'm an elder. I know what you're going through. I know what eldership is like. I know what you're going to encounter. And so hear what God has to say through me. And so he gives a single exhortation with many implications. And the single exhortation that he gives is there in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, what does it mean for an elder to shepherd? Let me back up a little bit. Why does he even use the analogy of a shepherd? Why doesn't he use the analogy of a parent or of a military general or something of that sort? Why does he use shepherd? Well, what we see throughout scriptures is that the leaders of Israel, the people of God, are often called shepherds. But what is maybe more important is that the most significant redemptive point in Peter's life was a time when Jesus exhorted him to be a shepherd to Christ's flock. If you remember, Peter denied Jesus three times when he was approaching the cross, right? And so when Jesus dies and he raised again and he's eating breakfast with Peter, he decides to restore Peter three times. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he gives him this exhortation. Feed my lambs, right? That's the shepherding illustration. And he says to him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, tend my sheep. That word tend is also shepherd. It's a term used here in 1 Peter 5. And then Jesus again says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He's like, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And so the reason why Peter uses this analogy of a shepherd to elders it's because it's the analogy that the good shepherd had used for him. It was the exhortation that Jesus gave to him to be a shepherd of Christ's flock. And so Peter exhorts the elders in the same way, telling them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then he unpacks this exhortation. That's what we want to do here today. So the first thing we see is that for a shepherd... For, for an elder to shepherd the flock of God, a shepherd must protect the flock. In verse 2, Peter uses uh, this phrase. He says, exercise oversight. Now, there is a lot in that term, oversight. It can be translated a lot of different ways. But one of the things is to, to, to 
to protect the flock. Certainly, this is one of the major functions of a shepherd, right? A physical shepherd. If he's taking sheep out, he has to protect the flock from wolves that want to come and eat the sheep. Now, it's not really, um, it's not really explained in detail here, but in Ephesians 4, we read that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, the leadership of the church. And he did this for a few reasons. One was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And he equipped the saints for the work of ministry so that they could build up the body of Christ. And he built up the body of Christ for this purpose. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes." And so you see, one of the major purposes of a leader in the church is to protect the flock from false doctrine. In Acts 20, Paul is exhorting the Ephesians elders. And he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So just as a physical shepherd has to physically care for his physical sheep, God is calling elders to be spiritual shepherds that spiritually care for the spiritual sheep that have been entrusted to them. Now, what do these wolves look like? Well, occasionally it would be a person that would come through the doors. Maybe one of you are wolves. I don't know. We'll find out. But a person that would come through the door and would come into the church to cause dissension, to cause division, that would cause to, to come in and to, to speak something that is untrue to scripture. And so that is sometimes how wolves infiltrate the church. But I think what the more popular way that these things infiltrate the church today are through the media that we use, right? Through TV, through radio, through internet, through blogs, through books, those things of those sorts in which people are expressing things that they believe, that they believe to be true, but are untrue to God's word. And so you'll hear a lot of different theologies, right? You'll hear people get on TV and say, God wants you to have everything that you ask for, right? He wants you to be rich. He wants you to have a gold throne. He wants you to have a huge property and a huge house, right? And what we say is the only problem with this theology is the Bible, right? The Bible is what's wrong with that theology, right? Did Jesus have a big house? No, right? Did Jesus live a healthy life until his old age? No. What did faithful obedience look like for Jesus? To die for his bride, for his church. What did it look like for the disciples? To die for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the elders are called to protect the doctrine of this church. Now, here's how we do this at Jacob's Well. There's many ways, but two ways. You know, when we sing a song, like, for example, the first song we sang today was a new song. And what Pastor Chad has to do is he puts it in an email and he emails out to the elders. And the elders read through it. And we don't look to see if we like the beat or we like the song. We don't get to judge any of those things. All that we simply get to say is, is this consistent with Scripture? Is this consistent with the gospel, with God's word? And the reason why this is so important is because all of you are singing doctrine. You may not see it that way, but that's what you're doing. And song is extremely powerful. 
And so our hope is to protect you by filtering through the lyrics to make sure that they are consistent with God's word. We also try to protect by looking through the material that people use in small groups and things of that sort when it's not the Bible. Um, And it's not that we try to be overbearing, but we want to make sure that it's preaching the good news of Christ and not another doctrine. And so one of the roles and responsibilities of an elder as a shepherd is to protect the flock. Their other duty is to feed the flock. If you have a King James Version Bible, you'll see that verse 2 actually does not start with the word shepherd. It starts with the word feed, that you are to feed the flock. And it's because these are synonymous. And you know what we feed the sheep is important, right? A shepherd does not take a sheep to a toxic cesspool to let them drink. They take them along green pastures into flowing water so that they can drink and be healthy. I mean, you know yourself that what you eat is very important, that it affects who you are and the health of your being. We say you are what you eat because we know that what we eat dictates how we feel and how we live and our longevity. You know, I was looking on the internet this week and they had uh, a food that they called, um, what do they call it? Superfood number one. Superfood number one. Can anyone guess what superfood number one is? No, not, no, no. Kale, right? Kale, superfood number one. Not just because it tastes disgusting, okay? That's not why it's superfood number one. But it calls it superfood number one because it's low in calories, high in fiber, zero fat. It has almost every vitamin in the alphabet. Um, It's anti-inflammatory, cardiovascular support, antioxidant, superstar, and impressive and anti-cancer effects. Now, there is some debate even in our own congregation amongst what superfood number one is. But there should be no debate about what superfood number one is for our souls, for the people of God. What we are to be fed, what we need to feast on, is the word of God. That is our superfood. See, earlier, Peter wrote to the elders this. He said that we have been born through the living and abiding word of God. And that the word of the Lord remains forever. And then in talking about their growth and their transformation and feeding on God's word, he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You know, Jesus himself even says that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I know that maybe for many of us, feeding God's people God's word seems like very common sense, right? It doesn't seem like a startling revelation. But to be honest, I think the American church culture in many circles have grown bored of the Bible. Um, They have taken it out of the pulpit to put in what they would say are more interesting or more relevant things, right? Like five ways to fix your marriage, five ways to fix your car, five ways to fix whatever it is that you need fixing, right? And so they substitute it with a lot of topical sermons and they will pull a verse here or there to support whatever they're trying to say. But in large part, they have put God's word to the side because they don't think that it's interesting enough. Or people have put God's word to the side because they think it is too offensive and they don't want to offend the sheep. They're so careful to grow the church that they don't want to offend anyone. And so they stay away from the hard passages of the scripture which God has given to us. Or they stay away from those parts of the scripture which are 
opposed to their personal theology. And so there is a great danger in the church that the elders of the church are not feeding God's flock God's word, but that is exactly what God calls us to do. In Acts 20, 26, just before that passage I read before you, Paul says, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why is he innocent of the blood of all? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Not just the part that he liked, not just the part that he thought was most important, but by declaring the whole counsel of God. And so Tim, your job is not to make the Bible palatable to people so that they can receive it in whatever way they want while continuing whatever lifestyle they want. Your job is not to make the Bible somehow um, more interesting by pulling a bunch of other sources. Your job as an elder is to simply feed God's flock God's word. And so that's what faithful elders do. They feed God's flock. They protect God's flock. They also care for God's flock. Verse 2, again, says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Again, there's a lot under this term oversight, but it includes caring for and looking after. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Verse 2 focuses us a lot on the motivation of being an elder. It contrasts ungodly motivations with godly motivations. The first ungodly motivation that he brings to the forefront is becoming an elder out of compulsion. You know, elders should not shepherd the flock of God because they have to or because they're constrained by other people's expectations or because the pastor keeps begging them and begging them and begging them to become an elder. But elders should become shepherds of the flock willingly, voluntarily, of one's own accord. The second wrong motivation that Peter talks about here is shameful gain. Now, Tim and I already talked about this during the first service, but I don't know if you all know. Do you all know how much Tim is going to get paid for being an elder at Jacobswell Church? I'll give you a hint. It's between $1 and negative $1. That's how much he gets paid for being an elder here at Jacobswell Church. He actually, we, we, we give the elders one meal a year to say thank you. So you get paid a meal. How about that? But I guarantee it will cost you more money than that meal to be an elder. As you're driving to elder meetings, as you're driving to care for people, to love people, as you're welcoming people into your home, it costs far more um, than a free meal. But so I don't think money is a potential uh, temptation to do this for shameful gain. But there is other shameful gain that can be had through being an elder. You know, there is a temptation to wear this term elder with such arrogance and pride to cover up your own insecurities, to say, look at me, look at what I have done. I become an elder at my church. And there is such a temptation to do that. And you are going to be the youngest elder at Jacobswell Church. And so there's a temptation to say, look what I've done in my youth. Look at what I have accomplished. But all of that is shameful gain. God calls you not to pursue eldership for such shameful gain, but to pursue it eagerly. You see, Tim, God does not just want you to be an elder. God wants you to love being an elder. God does not just care about your elder actions. He actually cares about your elder motivations. 
See, in this passage, there is a preposition that that we must be very, very careful that we do not skip. If you look at verse 2, we've said it many times, but we need to highlight it because it's so valuable. Verse 2 says, shepherd the flock of, what's the word? God, right? Shepherd the flock of God. Tim, this is not your flock. This is not the elder's flock. This is not my flock. This is the flock that God has entrusted to us, but it is God's flock. And because of that, this flock is precious to him. And so he calls you to shepherd the flock of God, loving the role that he has called you to. My wife, who is right there, um, she will tell you um, that one thing I hate doing almost more than anything else in the world is dishes. Um, I don't like doing dishes. And there are occasions, admittedly too rare, that I will do the dishes. Anyone else hate dishes? It's just me? Okay, thank you for being honest. All right. My wife. Oh, poor other. Pray for us. Um, But there are occasions where I will do the dishes. And really, there's two motivations I have for doing the dishes. One One of two things. One motivation is because I know I'm supposed to, right? I have to. It's under compulsion. This is what husbands are supposed to do. They're supposed to serve their wives and help their wives and love their wives. And you can imagine how joyful a person I am to be around when I do it for those reasons, right? But then there is another reason that I will do the dishes. And it's because I love my wife and I cherish my wife. And I know that my wife is a gift from God. And when that is my motivation, I can love doing something that I don't love doing because I love my wife. You know, Tim, there will be aspects of being an elder that I can promise you will not like. Um, Going to Presbytery three Saturdays of the year is not fun. Waking up early for session meetings is not my favorite thing in the world. But God is not calling you to love every aspect of being an elder, but he is calling you to love being an elder because he's calling you to love him and to love that which is most precious to him. And what is most precious to God and the great shepherd is this flock. And so he calls you to care for the flock, to love the flock, to count it a privilege to serve the flock because this is his bride, the church. Finally, shepherds are called to lead the flock. Again, under this exercising oversight is an aspect of leadership in the church, but the temperament by which elders are to lead is in verse 3. It says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so Peter is warning the elders against haughty and abusive power. He's warning them about throwing their weight around to get people to fall into line without having authentic relationships and discussions with the people. He's encouraging them instead, and first and foremost, to be an example to the flocks. You know, I've, I've used this illustration before, but it's such a fun illustration. There's a story of a group that goes on a tour of Israel, and the, the tour guide is telling them that the shepherds in Israel always lead the sheep from the front, right? And the sheep follow behind them. Well, they're on this tour bus, and Lo and behold, they look out the window and there is a shepherd with the sheep and the shepherd is out there and he is behind the sheep 
And he is prodding them to move. And so now the tour guide is a little bit embarrassed, right? Because what he just said had been, had been dismissed because of what they saw at this window. And so he tells the bus driver, stop the bus, stop the bus. And he goes out and he goes to talk to this man. You can imagine all the people on the bus looking out the window to see what's happening, right? And so the man comes back in the bus and he declares to the, to the tour group, he says, that man is not the shepherd of those sheep. He's the butcher of those sheep. You see, the butcher drives the sheep, but the shepherd leads the sheep. You know, it is true, just like with parenting and shepherding, elders sometimes need to chase down wandering sheep. Elders sometimes need to discipline sheep when they're caught in self-destructive behavior. But first and foremost, shepherds are called to show and lead the way for the sheep to go. You know, in 1 Timothy and Titus, qualifications, character qualifications are given to elders because they are to be examples of godliness to the congregation. They are not to be perfect. That certainly is not possible. But they are even to be examples of repentance when they are not godly. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says these words, which every elder should say, which is, which is the most scary uh, pledge that Paul says or exhortation Paul gives in my mind. Paul says this, he says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. You see, in order to be a leader in the kingdom of God, before you can become a leader, you first have to be a follower. You have to first see that as your primary identity, that first and foremost, you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so before you can be an under shepherd of Jesus, you first must know that you are a sheep with a great shepherd Jesus Christ. And you must follow him first and foremost before you can lead others. John Maxwell, who's a Christian that specializes in leadership, puts it this way. He says, a leader is one who knows the way, who goes the way, and who shows the way. And so a leader knows the way in that they know Christ. They know God's word. They're sufficient in it. A leader is one who goes the way he follows Christ. He seeks Christ. He seeks to live for Christ. And when he doesn't, he is repentant. But a leader is also one who shows the way, one who is an example to the flock of godly leading his home and living a life for Christ. And so what does a faithful shepherd look like? A faithful elder shepherd protects the sheep, feeds the sheep God's word, cares for the sheep eagerly, and leads the sheep by their example. You know, there is much to being an elder that the congregation at large will not know about. And that's a good thing. They don't, they don't need to know everything that you do. There's much that is hidden. Many of the days that you go away, many of the early mornings, many of the evenings, the things that God calls you to go and minister to other people. But what is so amazing is that although you may not get their accolades, there is an accolade of one who matters far greater. Verse 4 tells us about this. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know much about this crown of glory. I'm sure it's super cool. If Jesus gives it to us, it's going to be good. But I'm guessing the destination of it is going to be the same as it is for those other elders in Revelations. In Revelations 4, we read that 24 elders fall down before Jesus, who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And you know what they do with their crowns? They cast 
their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so why would these shepherds cast down these super cool crowns that they have, these precious crowns? Well, it's because when they meet Jesus face to face, they will see the greatest shepherd that ever lived. It will, we are only a dim reflection of this great elder shepherd, Jesus Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, David, if you remember David, David was considered a great shepherd. And he was a great shepherd because he was willing to risk his life for his sheep. You remember he fought tigers and bears and lions. Oh my, you remember that? And so David did this. And so he's considered a great, great shepherd because he would risk his life for a sheep. But what happens if David dies? The sheep die too, right? But Jesus, the good shepherd, is so different from us under shepherds. And that Jesus does not only risk his life for the sake of his sheep, Jesus actually gives his life for the sake of his sheep. When we look to John chapter 10, in which we read about Jesus being the good shepherd, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. Why did Jesus have to lay down his life? Because all we, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have chased after the things of this world that are ungodly. And yet Jesus has come to become one of us. Do you remember what John says when Jesus is introduced? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This great shepherd has come to become a sheep, to die on our behalf, to die for our sin upon the cross, that we could be welcomed into his fold. Let me end with this story. There's a story of a Sunday school teacher who decided to have her children memorize Psalm 23. And she gave the kids a month to memorize this psalm, Psalm 23. You may be familiar with it. It starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maybe you remember that. But little Billy was so excited about memorizing the psalm, and so he tried and tried and tried, but it was hard for him, but he, he kind of got to it. Well, when the day came, he came up before the church, and evidently, by this illustration, they shared Psalm 23 one by one, which is terrifying, but they would get up and they would share Psalm 23 one by one. And so Billy gets up to share Psalm 23, and of course he has stage fright, but he steps up to the microphone, and he proudly says, the Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. You know, there's a lesson to be learned from Billy, isn't there? As you are called to be a shepherd elder here at Jacobswell Church, you know, knowing that Jesus is your shepherd is not the only thing you need to know, but it is the most important thing you need to know. That Jesus is your shepherd. That Jesus is our shepherd. And that he has welcomed us into his flock. And that he loves us. And that we are precious to him. Because we're not only his sheep, we are his bride. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have taken wandering sheep like us. And you have brought us to yourself. Brought us to yourself, Lord. To be a part of your flock. To be under your tender care. God, pray as, as the elders hear this message that you would again grow us in the role that you have called us to. That as Tim hears it, that it would be seated in his heart to love your bride as you love your bride, the church. 
and that he would seek to shepherd faithfully and lovingly, Lord. God, we pray that this congregation would be a congregation that prays for their elders because we so, so desperately need their direction, your direction. And so God, pray that they would be faithful to pray, Lord. Thank you for giving Tim to us as a gift and for Natalie and for their family, Lord. And God, pray that you would bless his ministry here at Jacob's Well Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim, if I could have you come forward. I have uh, five questions for Tim. And um, do we have another mic? There you go. And I did ask Tim these questions at the first service, but I think it's important for you to know the vows that Tim uh, is affirming as well. And then I have a question for those of you here who are members of Jacob's Well Church. And so, Tim, I have five questions for you. Um, if you would respond by God's grace, I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? By God's grace, I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechism of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of these fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session, the elders, the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow? By God's grace, I do. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity or government? By God's grace, I do. Do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all of the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? By God's grace, I do. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? By God's grace, I do. I have, a congrega- I have a question for you, the congregation. Um, if you are a member here, please do not participate. We're glad you're here, but this is for those that would call Jacob's Weather Church home. What, what did I say? Oh, if you're not a member, thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Um, if you're not a member, don't participate. Um, we're glad you're here. If you are a member, would you please raise your right hand? Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive this brother as a ruling elder And do you promise to yield to him all that honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which his office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? If so, say, by God's grace, I do. Thank you. All right. So at this point, um, at the last service, Tim uh, knelt down and the elders uh, laid hands and prayed over Tim, which was his ordination. And again, we're not going to do it twice because we're afraid they might cancel out. So... Um, but I would like to just take this time to pray for you. And Pastor Chad could come up as well. That would be great. Chad, would you open and I'll close? Thanks. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, and we thank you that we can call Tim brother. You have brought him into your family. You have saved him from his sin. From the train wreck that was his life on his own, you have rescued him and redeemed him and given him a new life in Christ. Thank you for bringing him to Jacobswell Church. Thank you for his gift of humility that he brings to the table, for his vision that he brings to the table, for his compassion and his care for people, for his love for your church and for theology. I pray, Lord, that you would enable him and equip him to be the leader you have called him to be, that he would protect and provide and feed 
and care for this church well. And Father, thank you for his help in leading, and I pray that he would be a strong voice in speaking into what you're doing here at Jacobswell mm-hmm. Church. And Lord, I want to lift up his family to you, God. Thank you for Natalie and what a blessing she is to Tim and to this church, Lord. Thank you for his children, Lord. God, pray that you would protect their family, Lord. Give Tim wisdom uh, on caring for the church and caring for his family, Lord. And may he always be reminded that he is first and foremost called the shepherd his home, Lord. God, thank you for giving us Tim. um, And thank you for what you have done in Tim's life. And God, pray that you would bless his ministry here at Jake as well. In Jesus' name, amen.